0: Don't you go away Stan, you stay here. You'll be better off, you stay with your old Meg. Mm. Aren't you feeling well this morning Stan? Did you pay a visit this morning? Meg,
1: do you know what? What? Have you heard the latest? No. I'll bet you have. I haven't. Shall I tell you?
0: What latest?
1: You haven't heard it? No. They're coming today. Who? They're coming in a van. Who? And do you know what they've got in that van? What? They've got a wheelbarrow in that van. They haven't. Oh, yes, they have.
0: You're a liar.
1: A big wheelbarrow. And when the van stops, they wheel it out. And they wheel it up the garden path. And then they knock at the front door. They don't. They're looking for someone. They're not. They're looking for someone, a certain person.
0: No, they're not.
1: Shall I tell you who they're looking for? No. You don't want me to tell you? You're a liar. The
2: theatre, the theatre. Sing it out, Louise! Theatre, theatre. To be or not to be.
1: Hey, it's it's our first time together without a guest in a while, y'all.
3: I know, just,
2: yeah, just, It's
1: Just, just family tonight. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna keep singing
3: the song. I was just the three of us making yeah. shadows. In the... That's,
1: That's the Muppet it. version. Yeah, That's
3: right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like it's good to see you all though it over Zoom. Great. I wanna, yeah. I do want to see you in person soon or then.
3: Later. Well, we we have plans because we have to prep for. March is coming episode. up sooner
0: than you think. So that that's fifth true. is yeah we've is got Yeah, we've got at like least a weeks. viewing
3: party that's coming our way. So. That's
1: true. Yeah. We're going to be watching the uh, Sound of Music Live starring Carrie Underwood.
0: But <sighs> that'll be with extended family. you got to make sure Kila can come to that.
1: Yeah, we'll get Kila there. That's going to be super <laughs> fun. But yeah, besides that, did you guys watch the Super Bowl?
0: Yeah.
3: I, I watched it, yeah, at, at a groovy party. And it was nice to see a lot of people I hadn't seen in a long
1: time. If you've listened to us before, you know that we're from the LA theater scene, and we uh,
0: were from the place where the uh, football team played and won and right stuff.
3: down the road.
0: I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm like a mile away from downtown, and I was expecting chaos after yeah. they won, especially after the year that um, the Dodgers and the Lakers won at the same time. Because I remember that like downtown, they were like, "It is wrecked down here." Right. I don't remember hearing anything like that after the Super Bowl.
1: You'll probably hear the parade. Yeah. Well the parade oh, was, was that? today. That was today. Oh, was it? Oh I yeah, yeah. <laughs> thought that was tomorrow. Well yeah. I guess not. That was a I tomorrow. didn't hear nothing. But uh the, We're very yeah, proud they of the Rams. It well. yeah, and they handled
0: it
2: well.
1: I think the Olympics will probably be ten times that. I uh, can't wait. Yeah, that'll be super fun and crazy. We're all going to get tickets, right?
0: Well, I have oh, to yeah. tell you, when they announced that they were doing it at Los Angeles, I found the website and I emailed their contact email and I said, when are you holding auditions for choreographers for the opening ceremony? Because nice. I would like to apply. <laughs> and they were like, lady, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not for another 10 years.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you got to think these things through. You got to yeah, think ahead. I mean, you got to plan. Hey, that's I
0: figure I got a couple years to become a famous choreographer, so they'll just ask me
1: right right no, I, I was no. gonna say i figure there might ask somebody who does like you know uh like so you think small of theater exactly or... right you're right small 99 seat <laughs> 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 i didn't
2: getting it. i'm it. you're hey, so
0: right bailey i'm perfect you have
1: performed at the razzies you have performed on stages that's right. far i was wide.
0: known as an adele impersonator that's right for one <laughs> of them
1: <laughs> look it up y'all look, look, it, look, it, up. Up. look it up on imdb <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, uh, what, what the, the most exciting thing I think about it was the halftime show, which I have watched here, here. again a couple of times on YouTube because it was just a big celebration of West coast hip hop, but LA in general and Dr. Dre and all these people that he created.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, bur- uh, he birthed, uh, birthed them, me, you know, yeah. You know?
1: And each one of those tracks was a Dre-produced track. That was some of the most fun I've had watching a Super Bowl since Beyoncé, honestly.
0: So. I thought the Shakira and JLo one was pretty fucking great, you're too. You're
1: right. That was fun. I forgot about that. The, done Prince, the, Prince
3: one, the Prince one was extraordinary. They're always fun. I don't know
1: yeah. why I'm talking shit on Super Bowl halftime. Well, this some, one has uh, sometimes created you a lot of like, weird... Hey. Right. Yeah. This one has created a lot of weird controversy. We haven't seen controversy like this since Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> no, but people have been really upset and I haven't really understood why. And people are like, How dare racism. <laughs> ah, got it. Got uh, it. Racism. Well,
0: Uh, may i just say next year nfl lizzo i want lizzo at halftime yeah we need lizzo
1: lizzo or bust i agree completely um (laughs) that's a great segue because welcome to super bowl super bowl the super bowl podcast for super bowl nerds made by three super bowl makers from the la super bowl scene Thanks for sitting through that. We might just cut that out and put that at the end. No, double it. Okay. No,
2: no, Triple it. Triple I it. love Let our listeners. I love
1: our listeners so much, but I do have a feeling there's probably some new listeners for this one. It's the beginning of a new season. It's the beginning of a new miniseries. We're covering Harold
0: Pinter. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. The Super Bowl of mm-hmm. all playwrights. The Super Bowl of miniseries <laughs> right here. Yeah, no, you're right.
1: Uh, Pinter is the Super Bowl. Um, Halftime show. But, but Soccer. I, but soccer. <laughs> I will say, uh, though, our true intro is Welcome to Theater Theater, the theater oh, podcast. Th- yeah. Well, it's Super Bowl. Yeah. It's,
0: it's, CJ,
3: i it's, CJ. It's, hi. It's, <laughs> I'm Scott. It's synonymous. Theater <laughs> we do, is synonymous with we football. Should we do 10
1: minutes on the Olympics real quick, actually? <gasps> oh, my God. No, we're not going to get do me. Don't get, do don't, get me do don't get <laughs> me worked up. Don't get me worked up. Don't get me worked up. Welcome to Theater Theater, the theater podcast <laughs> for theater nerds, made by three theater makers from the L.A. theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Bircham.
0: I'm C.J. Merriman. I'm
1: Scott Leggett. And each week we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights yeah. by taking a macro look at three of their plays. Uh, which basically means if, if you're looking for answers to the test, maybe find a different podcast. Yeah, uh, BBC has some good podcasts that are a little bit more uh, based in academia. Yeah, we yeah. we like to, the evolution of the playwright. We like talking about the playwright themselves. We like you know talking about what makes them tick, what makes them them. Uh, so I'm excited to do that today because we are here for part one of three of our mini series covering the works of Harry Pinter. That's right. <laughs> don't call him Harry. Don't call him Harry. It's the <laughs> birthday party, part uh, one. You yeah, uh, like that. The birthday party. Party. It's like you're saying party, but with like a potty. potty, A little bit of a Boston accent. I don't know. Easy. But during this miniseries, we're going to be covering three of the works specifically. In the second episode, we'll go through more of his chronology of, of all of his works. Chronology. But it, Chronology. But today, <laughs> actually, will you insert the stinger right here? Yeah. Chronology. <laughs> the taste of it you'll you'll,
2: I you'll so get, it. To hear we'll get
3: into it next week <laughs> right okay so um <laughs> well, ryan thomas actually,
1: johnson at his best <laughs> it's one of my favorites but we're gonna be covering today the birthday party mm-hmm. next week we're gonna cover the homecoming and then in week three we're gonna cover betrayal which was my choice and it's one of my favorite plays i'm very excited to talk about it
0: was it my choice
1: I I think think so,
2: almost positive. No,
0: we went back and forth a bunch. I think ultimately Scott picked Homecoming, you picked Birthday Party, and I settled on Betrayal because... I was like, I know it's one of his big ones, and I've never read it, and I want to.
1: Right, but we also mm-hmm. want to space them out so that we're really covering the full evolution, right? Sure. The full chronology. So <laughs> I, <laughs> so I, I think you're right. You chose Betrayal, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, then a-, a good earlier one because I, I knew we had to talk about Betrayal because it's one of my favorite plays. I had never read The Birthday Party before this.
2: <gasps> oh, uh, fine. but I want to
1: know what y'all's context with. Pinter is, because as we go through this whole miniseries, I kind of want to understand where you're coming from when we rank shit, because as you know...
2: Bailey loves ranking shit.
1: I, I just want new listeners to know what just you're giving me into. more work. Just to yeah,
3: this thing. It's, it's all okay. good. It's, it's all good. Day. It's all good.
0: I wonder if I can add <gasps>
3: hotkeys too. Oh, all that. like
0: on a radio station. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> you'll get the whole seat,
3: but you'll only
0: need the edge. edge.
1: <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to buy you a soundboard, Scott. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. We'll do it live. <laughs> It'll be amazing. Uh, Okay, yeah, okay, put that on the Patreon list. So, we don't have a Patreon. <laughs> Maybe someday. But
0: we'll take your money. You know what I'd like to do someday?
1: What? Is our Patreon would be us doing the in stuffs only once a week.
0: Oh, okay, Ooh. or like once every
1: other week or something like that, but mm. then our main feed would just be the playwrights. And if you wanted the unstuffs, you'd have to come to the paint production
0: room. meeting, right. Insert Stinger here, <laughs>
2: <laughs> production, production meeting.
0: meeting.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's okay we digress in good ways people will enjoy it
2: three people we all, enjoy we all it. Need the rest have already turned again. it off they've already turned <laughs> yeah. it off um
1: if you're still here we love you so much uh yes. today we're talking about the birthday party but i want to hear your context first uh who wants to go first i will so bro, go jokes uh but i will i did not know who harold pinter was until i was in college mm. I was handed "Betrayal" in a scene study, Mm. and I enjoyed doing the scene. But then I was like, "Oh, I should read this play," and it blew my mind. Scott, have you read it yet? No, we talked about this. I'm not familiar with it. We're not going to talk about "Betrayal," CJ. Mm -hmm. Do you know the conceit of "Betrayal"? You know "Betrayal."
0: I know. I don't.
2: Oh,
1: oh, oh. oh Oh, this is gonna be great okay okay. (laughs) listeners listeners this is great so both of you have to do me a favor and everyone else too do not look up anything about betrayal if you don't already know the thing don't look just that makes me so happy (laughs) because it's how i read it it was just me being like oh and i read it and was like oh so i i want to see how you react to it because it is um one of my favorite things I'm going to compare it to one of my favorite movies. It's uh, very exciting, but it exemplifies some of the things that make Pinter Pinter, uh, just like these other two. So that's why we're talking about them. I... Did betray- uh, the betrayal scene. Then I read it. Fell in love with it. I have pitched to direct this show a couple times at, uh, in college and in a place in Kansas City, and have never gotten to do it. And then I brought it up to Scott the other day, like, "Hey, we should just do this. We should just fucking put this up." And he's like, "Yeah, maybe someday." I'm like, "God damn it! It's like we'll never do it. I'll never do this show. And it's my white whale, and it's fine." But uh, I saw the birthday party uh, that same year at kansas city actors theater Mm. and it uh, i want to say like 2011 something like that and it was running in rep with the collection uh and the lover and the collection is one of my favorite of his one acts it's Fucking phenomenal. I actually might make you guys read that. We'll talk hmm. about it in the chronic analogy. Yeah. <laughs> uh but it, but besides that, I have and I saw The Caretaker at KCACTF and it was a phenomenal uh piece. And then in my senior showcase, I did a scene from the collection. Besides that, I haven't seen a lot of Pinter. I, I don't feel like like people always say, like, oh yeah, his stuff's done all the time. Ah I where? I never see it anywhere. England. I never <laughs> England? Yeah, I, mean, I never see it in, in, in LA. Sure and I just wanna put, I wanna put something up now. Anyway, what is y'all's ah. context with it? Siege, go ahead.
0: Um, Siege. This I actually have a rare amount of context with this. Um, in 2005, uh, mm. I got to study abroad.
1: 2005. Good what year. was her name? Wine. Wine. What Good was year, her wine. name?
0: You um, got
3: I to study abroad. What was her name? Her name, name?
0: was C J. And it was <laughs> the first <laughs> summer I started drinking. It was fun. We um, oh, learned a lot
1: about herself, Scott. Oh
2: lord. I did. Um, she learned a lot. Okay. But that oh, summer was
0: it. that summer was so great. I lived uh my 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 tube stop was Baker Street. Mm. I I lived in a really nice part of London that I never would live in ever again. Um but it was so easy to see theater and I saw like 23 shows that summer and they were doing The birthday party at the West End at the Duchess Theatre, and I still have the program because I'm a total nerd. It had Henry Goodman and Eileen Atkins. Of what I know, I know she's done a billion things, but I know her from The Crown. She played Meg, and I I know her from
3: WWE. (laughs) Little known fact: she did a she did a whole season. It's a lie. I'm a liar
0: (laughs) Fuck (laughs) Um, (laughs) you. So. I saw this I saw the birthday party 16 years ago and at that time I didn't know anything about Pinter either and I fucking went to theater school and didn't know anything about Pinter but I can still honestly say that out of a lot of the shows I saw there I remember so many things about that production and performances that really really stuck with me Um, and I can't wait to talk about every little bit of them but the other thing that I saw was um, a couple years ago, uh, Friends of the Pod, Travis Gatz and Guy Pico did The Hothouse at Elate Theater Company. Which... I
1: love The Hot House. I forgot I read that play. Yeah. They, That's they, a good play. It
0: was it, Emmanuel Lutheran Actor Theater Ensemble. They mm. have this adorable, like, 70-seat theater in the basement of their church, and they were mm. doing fucking Pinter there. So I was raised Lutheran. We did not have cool shit like that at my church. Um, But that's basically it for me. I got, (laughs) after my senior year in college, when I graduated from conservatory, I auditioned for the birthday party for some small St. Louis theater company and thought I was an expert at it because I'd seen it. And I auditioned for Lulu and didn't get in it. But (laughs) that's it.
1: We love it. I love
3: it. Uh, It's funny um, because I've I've been very excited to do this because I've always viewed Pinter as this sort of overall blind spot in my theater knowledge and experience. I think for for so many reasons, similar reasons, that I think he's uniquely British, but is not (laughs) at the same time. And I think people are a little frightened by him. Um, And you can't take kind of the same kind of risks like you could with someone like say Beckett. Where you could just kind of throw beckett up and you know you know bad productions just make it weird and that kind of thing this you have to kind of nail it and you have to be smart and he's guaranteed smarter than any of the three of us and probably smarter than than most people he was just a brilliant person right and um so like i remember the, the only pinter i've ever done aside from and i'll give a quick shout out to uh brendan hunt Mm-hmm. Uh, from Ted Lasso fame and Sacred Fools member, um, but we mm-hmm. we've mentioned uh, serial killers before on the show, which is Sacred Fools late night uh, sketch comedy kind of small short play competition thing. Anyway, Brendan Hunt had did, done a series on the sitcoms of Harold Pinter, mm-hmm. so it was I like w, that one. it was like WKRP <laughs> in Cincinnati, but That's as genius. written by Harold Pinter, uh, and that. there were a couple others, and they were I think he did an Andy Griffith. <laughs> Oh, I shit. think there was an Andy Griffith. <laughs>
0: I think he went out on WKRP because not as many people know that sitcom. Knew, knew, knew yeah. that
2: one, right. But, but I love that one. Oh, yeah. I, I would have loved that. Holy
3: shit. It was great. Um, but yeah, but beyond that, I've seen a production of Birthday Party. I've seen a production of The Homecoming. I had read a few things um, back in the day. Uh, one play that I didn't think of until after we had selected our shows was... Um, uh what the hell is it uh the um uh a kind of alaska which um is one of his later plays and i got to see a production of that um in san francisco i'd gone up uh, a friend of mine was doing stuff and we decided to see a show and they were doing that and that's really trippy because it's based on the um uh virus the play well it was kind of a plague that happened in the uh, early 1900s, I think 1916, that caused people around the world to just suddenly go into paralysis and or comas. Oh, shit. And so the movie Awakenings with Robin Williams and and oh, Ro- Robert De Niro is that? based... That's the disease that they had, but Pinter sort of takes it and does a twist on it. So it's about it's a woman, a doctor and her friend, as I recall, and she wakes up after 50 years. And the thing with all of these people in real life was that they woke up and it was all a temporary thing because they were trying this experimental drug and that woke them up. They all thought they had been asleep for minutes, Hmm. not like sleeping overnight. They all felt like they had just been asleep for minutes. And then realized that some of them, was, it was 30 or 40 years of being in a coma. Anyway, so I saw that and it kind wow. of blew my mind. And But I've always been trepidatious. And the only work I've ever done from Pinter um, that I can recall anyway is the scene work of the interrogation scene from the birthday party um <gasps> that we got to do which and came first
0: which came first yeah which came first the egg, wow. the egg.
3: um and that was a blast because one of my scene partners was british and he was kind of a nerd about pinter and we really had a great time doing it that's but cool. yeah so it, i'm excited to do this series and I'm, I'm excited to read a little bit more when we're all done as well
1: Well, now that we have context with how we're going to be discussing and what lens we're looking through, I'd love to know a little bit more about the man himself, Harry Pintel. What? Uh, The way that we do that around here, for anyone who doesn't know, we have another fucking awesome stinger. It goes like this. (laughs) Scottpedia. That's right, it's Uh, Scottopedia. Scottpedia.
3: Scottpedia. There's a lot, like... You know, you go looking on Wikipedia for some stuff and it's like really short and you kind of get a general sense. There's just a lot out there. And so I'm I'm going to I'm just going to crank through a lot of this just to give some sort of sense of this man as overall. Pinter was one of the most influential modern dramatists, British dramatists, with a writing career that spanned more than 50 years. In addition to being a great playwright, he was also a poet and a screenwriter. He also directed and acted in radio, stage, television, film productions of his own and others' works. Pinter was born on 10 October 1930 in Hackney, East London. He was the only child of British Jewish parents uh, of Eastern European descent. His father, Hyman Jack Pinter, uh, was a ladies' tailor, and his mother, Frances, was a housewife. Pinter discovered his social potential, quote-unquote, as a student at Hackney Down School, a London grammar school, but it was actually a high school, like, you know, when they... They the British rename things, and then we do things anyway. Between 1944 and 1948, he went to the Hackney Down School, and while there, he met a major influence. Um, he had an inspirational English teacher uh, by the name of Joseph Brearly. Brearley, it's a mm-hmm. British name, uh, who directed him in school plays and with whom he took long walks talking about literature. Uh, under Brearley's Beer, uh, d- d- instruction, Pinter shone at English, wrote for the school magazine, and discovered a gift for acting. In 1947 and 1948, he played Romeo and Macbeth in productions directed by uh, Mr. Brearley at the age of 12, Pinter began writing poetry. And in the spring of 1947, his poetry was first published in the Hackney Downs School Magazine. In 1950, his poetry was first published outside the school magazine in Poetry London, some of it under the pseudonym Harold Pinta. Pinta
1: hmm. spelled
3: P I N T A Pinta. Pinta. Ah. Um. Pinter was also a sprinter. Say that a hundred times. That's going to be my new one. Pinter was also a sprinter. Pinter was also a sprinter. Pinter was also a sprinter. (laughs) And a keen cricket player and very important an atheist like a lifelong atheist and that had a huge influence on his work and his worldview beginning in late 1948 pinter attended the royal academy of dramatic arts for two terms but hating the school missed most of his classes feigned a ner- feigned a nervous breakdown and dropped out in 1949
1: but am i correct that like it wasn't just hating the school it was partly also like a lot of racist bullying happening.
3: Towards there was, him. A, yeah, he, he, yeah, a lot of anti-Semitism yeah. that he experienced, Oof. which, yeah. which also just fueled his atheism. Like, don't right. label me. <laughs> like, don't label me uh, yeah. for something that I don't believe in anyway. Um, In 1948, he was called up to national service. This would have been right after the war. He was initially refused registration as a conscientious objector, leading to his twice being prosecuted and fined for refusing to accept a medical examination before his um, conscientious objection status. He eventually went to Central uh, School of Speech and Drama in London and finished his studies. From 1956 until 1980, Pinter was married to Vivian Merchant, an actress whom he met on tour, perhaps best known for her performance in the 1966 film Alfie, uh, alongside My- Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. <laughs> uh, she appeared in uh, many, many of Pinter's plays.
2: The first uh, they rule have...
1: of
3: a Pinter play is you've got <laughs> to talk. You've got a talk like can... no, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. You you've got a pause Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, they had a son, Daniel, who was born in 1958. He left Merchant in 1975 and married author Lady Antonia Frazier. Uh, he was... Inc- said <laughs> so what?
1: I said it's hot, Scott. It's hot. It's hot. <laughs> it sounds it
3: hot. hot he was incredibly politically and socially active throughout his entire life. He got into a lot of stuff, created a lot of controversy, uh, especially in regards to his views on the Israeli-Palestine situation. Mm. Uh, Pinta earned a reputation for being pugnacious. What are y'all's
1: thoughts on that? Can we get into that real quick? It's <laughs>
0: yeah, easy. Just all right, let's it needs to get along. I okay. could fix it in yeah. a week. I, I yeah.
3: have <laughs> it all written out on a Post-it pen. I can fix it. Uh, <laughs> But he was incredibly—he uh, was incredibly uh, pugnacious, enigmatic, taciturn, tense, prickly, explosive, and forbidding. Uh, Pinter I was want somebody
1: o- to describe me like that. Sometimes.
2: Right? That's was pretty. Hard. All those I'm things. I'm gonna put that on my hinge profile. <laughs>
1: uh, right? I'm prickly. Prickly
2: mm. and, and forbidding.
0: Forbidding. Yes. Yes.
3: Uh, Pinter was the author of 29 plays and 15 dramatic sketches and the co-author of two works uh, for stage and radio. Um, He went through sort of three periods. We'll talk about that more next week, but comedies of menace was his early period. Then he went through his memory plays and then he got uh, a little bit more political. Uh, later on, um, yeah. there's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so I'm going to skip around, skip down to skip, um, skip at skip um, But he just had he won the Nobel Prize. He was awarded this. This is crazy. Uh, He was an honorary associate of the National Secular Society, a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature, an honorary fellow of the Modern Language Association of America. Pinter was appointed CBE in 1966 and became a Companion of Honor in 2002, having declined a knighthood in 1996. In 1995, he accepted the David Cohen Prize a Recognition of a Lifetime of Literary Achievement. In 1996, he received a Laurence Olivier Special Award for Lifetime Achievement in the theater and... um, um, yeah, uh, he died uh, from liver cancer on the 24th of December, 2008. He also suffered from esophageal cancer. Oh. And um, if you watch his acceptance of the Nobel Prize, he, he gives an address to the Academy. And you can hear that he's, he's, he's losing his voice. And it's uh. a little sad, you know, given. But with esophageal cancer, he also did a very um, famous uh, production um, of Crap's Last Tape. Right. I um, He received a lot I think of I like. I remember us talking accolades. about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah, would just love a loaded
1: dude. to
3: see that. I think it, it's. I bet be it's recorded. Out. Somebody, somebody.
1: I, I feel like I have heard of that, and I. There's got to be a tape of it. Anyway, interesting.
3: But, a,
0: yeah, a, I crap's mean, perhaps last tape of it. Aye.
1: Didn't did
3: you get on a v- uh, digression? Did you guys hear about this? The original Star Wars VHS. Unwrapped tape that sold for sixty thousand dollars this week. What?
0: Jesus Christ! Somebody wow. had it
3: in their garage. It was. You can a, just unopened. watch it on
0: Disney Plus.
3: Yeah, but then, now they have the original VHS of it. So
0: they can fuck the with VHS their VHS tracking trilogy.
1: for a half hour. <gasps> and then they keep... I yeah. have the VHS trilogy right next to me. I
0: used to have it. My uncle Ron gave it to me. Might still be in Illinois. Hmm. Anyway. Mm. That I sounds
1: guess. like a story we should tell <laughs> right now. <laughs> I want to hear it all. Right after
0: we talk about the conflict. How did you feel? <laughs> yeah.
1: right. um, okay, so uh, amazing. He's he's done a lot. Do you have any uh, two truths and a lie? You want to come up with one? Oh,
3: <laughs> man. There, we haven't played so that in much. a long time. Right, right. Um. Okay. Uh, three truths and a lie. Two truths well, and a lie. But... Two truths and a lie. <laughs> three is um, a lot. <laughs> okay, three is a lot. Um, uh, gosh, I wanna I wanna be <laughs> careful here and do it do it correctly. Um, let's see here. Oh, I th- I covered everything. I got I hit all wow. my points. <laughs>
2: Did it uh, so well. All right. Next yeah. episode. Next episode. Come I'll prep, up. With okay. I'll prep. I'll prep. Okay. up something yeah. for next episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's promise. always so fun.
0: It's always fun to lose that game every time. So.
1: <laughs> Triple this part <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> where we're just deciding funny. this. Yeah,
3: yeah
2: it's
0: it very is. Annie Baker. It is. Or, You're not wrong. Dare I say? Pinter.
3: (laughs) Pinter Baker. Pinter Baker.
0: Well, Uh,
1: so should we get into it? Yeah, y'all want to start talking about our first play? Let's fucking do it. it. I got a lot to say. You're probably, uh, there's probably listeners who are like, finally, this is literally, I clicked on this because it said the birthday party. Uh, Yeah, so first things first, what are your thoughts? First thoughts out of the gate. Do you like it? Do you hate it? Fuck this play. Fuck this guy. Loved it. Yeah. Love, Love it. it. Yeah, really comedy like of play.
0: menace. Goddamn. What a way to describe it. Which
1: is something that he actually would battle uh, yeah, later he didn't, as he a didn't, title. Yeah, Yeah, He's he like, didn't I don't like, like that. I don't, I don't think that's like it. right. No. And everyone was like, that's what it is. He's like,
0: I don't
1: like that. And it's like, I still think that's what it is. I, I think it's great because it's a play on comedy of manners, right? It's right. that. It's a subversion of that in, in, a, in a way. And uh, go ahead.
0: Would it be, would y'all categorize it as absurdism at all? Yeah. I think I would hashtag,
3: okay. I certainly would hashtag it as such, yeah.
0: Because I was thinking that as I was reading it.
3: I mean, I hate to say it, because and we'll Rereading talk about it. it more as we go, but uh, it's Um and Yeah, it uh, is. And that's... But it's, it's also, also Ian Esko-esque. Ian Esko-esque, well, Esko-esque. I
2: was, yeah. I was comparing him
0: and... to mostly Beckett and... Ionesco yeah um because you know they were same time period ish and Ionesco was honestly the first person that I thought of and which made me immediately think of absurdism but I will say out of the three of them I think and I may change my mind after I've read the other plays I think I enjoyed reading this more than I did Beckett and Ionesco personally
1: interesting
3: I, I see that I can see that like uh, yeah uh, he's yeah he's <laughs> He's he's taking all that stuff, like you can see that he's read and seen Beckett, that he's re- read and seen Ionesco, who just precede him by a decade or so.
0: Well, and I would be interested to know, I feel like he gives you, he's one of those writers that directs you before you even hire a director because mm-hmm. i remember the stage directions in this script i was like that's exact I, because i still remember it on yeah. stage in 2005 like yeah. he's sure he's telling you what to do quite a bit
1: right right and you know i think to to bring it back to the comedy of menace thing right i think to, to answer your question is this absurd um
2: it,
1: it, okay i'll bring it back even further comedy of manners uh-huh. Everything is agreed upon in comedy of manners, uh, manners right? All of the mm-hmm. rules of society are agreed upon, and the comedy comes from that mm-hmm. in those things. In this, nothing is agreed upon, none of the rules of the world are agreed upon, and nothing is verifiable. Like, mm-hmm. con- right. everything is constantly contradicting itself. Like, uh, uh, their are stories. Their, uh, we don't know what is true and what isn't. We also don't know any context for anything which i would argue is is a basis for calling it absurdism like what is goldberg's name is it right like he, right. he calls himself yeah. like four different things is it even stan's birthday right. does stan exist like right. these are these are the questions that can come up in absurdism and we're dealing with ambiguous time we're dealing with ambiguous place we're dealing with language deconstruction we're Mm -hmm. playing with. And I think these all add up to memory
3: and past too. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I think these all add up to a form of absurdism. And I think there's that book, the Eslin book, right. That talks about what theater of the absurd is. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, unfortunately there is a bit of a box that we always feel like it needs to fit into. Sure. Which is why I think the question comes up. Is this absurd? I had the same thing because this Mm -hmm. one feels more grounded in reality than say, uh, the Bald Soprano, mm-hmm. or or Endgame, where you're just like we're in a whole different world. Or this Waiting is for Gatto,
0: not... like
1: right, yeah, yeah, right.
3: And but... I think that that's what he's. You know, it's interesting because I think that Esco was um, a lot of his work was about language and a, with a political tilt to it and a philosophical tilt to it. Um, Beckett is almost exclusively thinking on on philosophical terms and trying to sort of create metaphors of ideas through that, that very, you know, there's social commentary and all this, right? This is, he's charged both politically and socially. And then that drives everything. It's his right. view of, of the world that he's in. And I think that that's why he bases what the feel is I got to start in reality it's got it they they're set up like kitchen sink dramas like yeah like a taste of honey or something like that and then he's like no nah, i'm and then, yeah. st- then he slowly just starts I to like that. fuck the with the with the axles on the projection and 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 he does it slowly sometimes <laughs> yeah. and then he just slaps it and i, I well, just dig it the yeah.
0: other thing i love about and even though Pinter wouldn't like it, the thing I love about Comedy of Menace is, and it's, again, this feeling I remember when I saw it, and it reminds me of the flick, too, is the whole time I was on edge. Yeah. It was like, something bad's about to, what, what bad yeah. thing is about to happen?
1: 100%.
0: And then the smallest of actions in this play seem menacing as fuck so anyway we'll get them
1: well that. no it's true like even when they're just like asking very simple rhetorical questions that are like non-sequitur question you're kind of just like oh no does that mean something is there something <laughs> horrible behind that question you know
2: yeah he's yeah. in yeah. trouble interesting yeah. yeah
1: um and i do think before we get into plot and so i i i think people tend to want to explain plays like this to themselves mm-hmm. especially when it is set in reality um and i had read that there's this school of thought that this play takes place in meg's mind i've read that too and I've that, read that she too. invented stanley as a necessity to an empty marriage with pd right but huh. but when i finish the show i go no no shut up. None of that matters. No, 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 no. no. Why does that's none of that is explainable. Why don't try to put this in reality? That's not the point. This is a heavily political statement he's making. This is not you know what I mean? This Mm -hmm. is buried child. This is not we're not trying to we don't need to answer every question. And I kind of hate that there's schools of thought doing that kind of shit, because I know there's productions putting it up where they're like, all right, we have to justify this. And I'm like, no, you don't.
2: Mm-hmm. This is Sarah right.
1: Kane in some ways, right? This is mm-hmm. like, just do it. Like, just do it. It'll make sense. It'll hit some people the right way. It'll not make, it'll not hit some people the right way. It's,
3: uh, it's funny. And I think that the, you know, he's one of those people that, you know, like Beckett and Ionesco and Shakespeare and Chekhov that has an aura about him yeah. that, de- that demands people. Uh, there was a great little article, a little opinion piece uh, in The Guardian over the past week or so about Hamlet and it was basically going this is this play isn't nearly as complicated or as th- everyone, as wants, it everyone wants it to be it's yeah. like no he's it's just kind of he's you know he, he's, he's not, just talking to himself he's talking to himself he's not mad he's just in a really crappy situation time. like yeah. you know? it's just
1: inner monologue being shared with an audience it's just like man fuck and shit sometimes sucks. you sometimes it's you like, just yeah, gotta, shit sucks
2: yeah kind um, <laughs> of like
1: this girl she seems kind of crazy but like I don't know. Is life worth living? I don't know. Like don't that's know. my mind all the time. That's my ADHD <laughs> oh, brain constantly. Oh my god. Um, uh, I'm in I'm interested in in talking through this plot with you guys because it is so interesting and I want to know um your thoughts on it. But to to get us started on that, we do have something. Another thing that we do here. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh CJ, I'm going to ask you from the bottom of my heart, I, I uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we know you go good. through pain
3: because you're method and you go there.
1: You are you go all the way.
0: I am. How dare you? <laughs> you fully. I came from the Russian school. I am not a method actor. <laughs> she
1: we has just, a. She just. She think a has of a breakdown. <laughs> she has a breakdown every time she has to do this because it is now yeah. CJ's breakdown.
2: cj's breakdown
0: stanley weber lives in a rundown seaside boarding house owned by Petey and the nutty and flirtatious meg his sedentary day-to-day is disrupt- is disrupted by the sudden arrival of two intense weirdos goldberg and mccann who claim to be looking for him after a menacing and unsuccessful birthday party they take him
2: away
1: it's true yeah, yeah. Uh, the first thing you mentioned that I think is interesting is Meg <laughs> and that she's like weirdly flirty, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. She goes back and forth between being like wanting to be his mom. Yes. And wanting to be flirty. Yes. And it is that weird, you know, dual.
0: But then you also have that with Goldberg and Lulu, I feel like, in the oh, party yeah. too.
1: Sure.
2: Which oh, is, yeah.
0: it gets even more fucked up.
1: It does.
2: but i like that he's
1: playing with the with these dynamics right away right and then Mm -hmm. it makes you then question her relationship with pd later which then you know kind of i guess justifies the school of thought of like this is all in her mind and like whatever i guess uh but i don't need that i don't think that makes this play better and that's the question you sort of have to ask right Is like does that tell this story better maybe it justifies something in your brain better but does it tell the story better not in my opinion
3: I think um yeah mm-hmm. I agree with you I think that you can um overthink it for sure but it, it what I what I'm realizing what this what this damn podcast has taught me going through all these playwrights is over that a the great, years? over the years is that a great playwright writes in astoundingly specifically and gives the artists the actors the director room to do make a lot of choices and decisions and those decisions can be bold and he 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 directs them he keeps them on a track but you can do so much with this you know i've watched a few clips of scenes with two or three very different ideas of what meg is and how to play meg and 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 all those things so yeah you got in a you're gonna play that in about 25 years siege
0: Oh, I'm, please, color me Can't flattered. Wait. I'd love to. Yeah.
1: I feel a bit like I was being an asshole before. Huh? About, like, about absurd, about people, like, ha- having to justify things in absurdism. I'm sorry. If you need to do that, you can do that. <laughs> but I will, but I will say, as, like, someone who really loves absurdism, I would, like, I I behoove you, not you two, but listeners, to, like, explore absurdism and, and, and understand that it's sort of actively battling how you want the story to be told sure it it, it itself is menacing you as a storyteller right which is what makes in a small way what makes pinter
2: pinter It's, Um, it's like
0: my disney princess syndrome like i have this because i grew up in the 90s i have this problem where at the end of every movie i'm like why didn't they get married (laughs)
2: <laughs> right, they should be getting sure, married. Sure. Like
0: it's just weird shit we put in our heads because it makes us feel comfy. Watched. Yeah, in the nineties, everything felt good. The
1: <laughs> well, <Leo> flies <laughs> off at the end.
2: All yes. well, you know?
3: Well, and then one of the elements too about absurdism, and I think that Pinter plays with really well, is meaninglessness, mm-hmm. and I think that goes right to your point, Bailey. Like there's just there are elements of absurdism. There are chunks of of Beckett plays that. Are kind. I don't. I hate to say it, he's fucking off. He's not. He's just going crazy to show you how meaningless it all is. And um, you don't need to go.
1: Uh, when Gogo takes off his shoe, it's because it actually represents a metaphor for the, his the monarchy. Yeah, his soul hurts.
3: has a hole in it, and <laughs>
0: his
3: foot pain
0: represents. I still pain. think of Gandalf saying that line.
3: <laughs> Which one uh, line?
0: My foot hurts. My, my
1: foot, foot hurts. hurts. <laughs> Young, <laughs> Hobbit.
2: young um, Hobbit.
1: Young Hobbit. Ooh. Okay, we're off
2: guard. Yes, I,
0: right I I wanted to say, like, to me, the menace in this play started with as soon as Stanley walks in because the guy it's interesting too, because the, the script that I have has original production photos in it and the people don't look cool. anything like the people that I saw, even uh-huh. though he's very specific about, he talks about what they look like, what they're wearing, all of that stuff. I almost feel like the guy that played Stanley in the production I saw was an analog incel. Like he came in and he had crazy bed head and his, his brow was furrowed the entire time. Like he must've had a headache at the end of every night. Oh,
1: wow. wow,
2: Because
0: of how much energy he put into his forehead. But it was like, (laughs) at any fucking second, it felt like he could explode, particularly at Meg or Lulu. Like, at any second, he was going to just lose his mind and yell at people. So, like, as soon as he walked on stage, I was creeped out. And then it it just, to me, it just builds and builds, especially when um, McCann and Goldberg come in.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, Speaking of character descriptions and scripts, I might be speaking out of ignorance, but sometimes I do wonder... When I read things like that that are real specific, like this one was, I'm like, oh, they're describing the original actor who they wrote this for. You know what I mean? Right. I right. don't know. I but like that's how this one felt a bit where I'm like, oh, he's describing well, Sometimes the guy. they
0: say that's like the original stage manager's notes. Right right, 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 right. True. Could be, Blocking
1: uh, especially is usually
0: yeah. that. But
3: yeah. this is this is also his second play and I I've, I've just found sure. that the younger the playwright the more novice the playwright then this is his the more first they tend to length, guide though, yeah. yeah first full length yeah. you're right um but they tend to, to want to to really drive it and 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 control it as much as they can and I think sure. you even see in Pinter as he gets into some of those later ones he, he eases up a little bit on that, just like, uh, you know, Tennessee Williams did. Well, no, Tennessee was the opposite. He kind of got more sprawling. Chekhov and Shaw
0: wrote all of their shit in. They told yeah. you yeah. how they wanted their set. They told yeah. you what they wanted the fucking Oh, yeah, good to
3: point. Like. Yeah.
0: So, I mean.
1: And we've brought this up in other in other series about playwrights and how they. CJ, you talk a lot about uh, how sometimes playwrights feel like they're directing you and you don't mm-hmm. always respond well to that as an actor right I think sometimes it's done well though like I think mm-hmm. Vogel was one we all felt like oh Vogel though is doing it in a way that feels respectful of the actor right sure. um I feel like Baker maybe was another one mm-hmm. uh, uh but this one uh, f- does feel a bit directy I've, I've just like, tuned into that more since you've talked about it. And I was just mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, it does feel a bit like he's being like, it must be like this or it's not right. And you're like, mm. um, well, and I, and I think I it's also someone else's note or his, you know? Right.
3: I also think it's, I, I, I tend to believe that it's his only because he, well, maybe not he's in particular. early on. Well, he, but that he, he directed so much that he acted so much that he, you know, he unlike, you know, Ionesco and Beckett, like he is kind of a a more rounded guy and you I feel similar vibes from Shepard because of that too. That Shepard was also an actor and a director and a musician right. and 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 so when forming forming that structure and forming a play, um, that's maybe where that specificity comes from.
1: Let's step through the plot a little bit. Oh, go ahead, Siege.
0: The last overarching thing I wanted to say about it was this play reminded me of a conversation I had about Lovecraft years ago because I had just picked up Lovecraft and was reading a bunch of his stories. Mm. And I remember talking about, at that time, how frustrating it was to me because people would always talk about how fucking spooky and scary Lovecraft was, but he never actually... You're never, you never actually see what he's talking about or experience what he's talking about. It's mm-hmm. just this underlying bubbling, and that is supposed to be more scary than actually seeing it.
1: Yeah. And now like I. Cloverfield. Have...
0: yeah and now i appreciate that more and i got that vibe way more with this because it's just in the it's just in the little movements that are spooky but you don't actually see the super violence happening
2: right it's just
0: hinted at or maybe it's not hinted at at all maybe your imagination goes there and i appreciated that about this i've grown up a little bit i might like lovecraft a little bit more now
1: uh, we should mention, just because we're a woke LA podcast that HP Lovecraft was a horrible racist. But besides that, yes. not just uh, a yeah. racist,
3: he was also a pretty good misogynist and uh anti-Semite. Got it. So he got, got all it. that going on. Yeah.
1: All of the above. <laughs> Perfect. Uh,
0: <laughs> regular Midwesterner. Easy. And guy. and
3: the original sort of famous, you know, live in his mom's basement incel. Like he was oh, that shit. kind of guy. Yeah.
0: Okay, HP. <laughs> well, uh,
1: anyway. <laughs> uh, so Let's talk through this plot a little bit. Like you said, Siege, it's a it's a seaside town not far from London. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ha- It's a boarding house
2: mm-hmm.
1: of sorts, a B&B,
0: if you will. It would be an Airbnb these days. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. you know, yeah. it's a bit like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have Megan. Uh, P-T. P.T. P.T. Who own it. Boyles, is that their, or what's their last name? Bowles. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have stan stanley we stan we stan a stanley. stan, stan stanley. Uh, and he comes down and he's disheveled and whatever and he is kind of acting normal and she's being motherly and flirty but then she mentions that these other guests might come and then from that point on stanley is like a whole different erratic person and then he just sort of goes through a de-evolution through the play in mm-hmm. my opinion, right yeah. which is fun to watch of language and of humanity and all these kind of other things we have lulu
2: mm-hmm. who's lulu
0: it sounds like she's just a, a pretty 20 something from in town and i i love their whole first scene because it's this whole thing where you can tell from the outside that both of them are somewhat interested in one another but they keep missing each other's points
1: right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
0: and and then you have the the
1: comedy of menace begins when goldberg and mccann arrive and they start talking about this quote-unquote job this job they must do which we by the end of the play you still don't really know what that is no right no which is great yeah uh i love that ambiguity um and then we get the toy drum present as the first First birthday present, end of act one. Quick, sweet, simple, I don't know what the fuck just happened. Well, and
0: I love the whole thing of they talk on and on and on and on about what this great piano player Stanley is and then they give him a Drum for his birthday, right? Right,
2: right, <laughs> but then, yeah, a toy then, drum, not even a then,
3: don't other, drum. the other I'll thing always get... we don't know if we don't know how great a piano player he was. He's yeah, he was on tour, then it was just a concert, then it was like he keeps changing this story, you know, and that's just one of these cool little elements. The one of those absurdisms that
1: it's yeah, it goes back to what I said at the beginning it's everything is unverifiable, they're constantly. Yeah. contradicting themselves and you're just like okay well i guess i know nothing about any of you therefore you don't really trust any of them but then you also who am i rooting for i don't know that i am but am i i am i guess i'm kind of rooting for stanley until act two when all everything goes down and then you're like wait should i not be rooting for stanley and then uh it's horrible it's great we're going to talk about it act two Uh, Stanley tries to convince them that it's not his birthday to try to get out of it. But he's being convincing enough that I'm like, wait, is it not his birthday? Mm -hmm. Right, 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 right. And there's this great thing. And this ends up being kind of a, a massive part of this play is this stand up, sit down situation do you know what i'm mm-hmm. talking about
0: yeah they just always revisit it it's used a lot where someone tells somebody to sit down
1: right it's sort yeah. of the, the the major negotiation of the whole play is they're so concerned with who is standing or sitting at a, mm-hmm. any given point and it's this status dynamic right it reminds me of that acting exercise did you ever do that where Three people are in a scene, and one person has to be sitting, one person has to be laying down, and one person has to be sitting. We did that in improv class. It's an improv game, but there's a really – there's a cool variation where everyone learns the same scene from a play, and then you can just put three people up, and you do it, but it's levels. So it's not necessarily that somebody has to be – Sitting, standing, lying down—it can be like someone standing on a couch. Someone, but you have sure. to be on different levels. But you have to justify. It's an exercise in in specificity. You you are you have to justify being on that level. You yeah, can't just do Yeah, and power
0: dynamics it. too.
1: Absolutely, one hundred percent power dynamics, right? Yeah. And 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 I think I think about that a lot. I did specifically. I think it was a scene from. <sighs> wool gatherer no that's a two person play i don't know it might have even been rabbit hole something like that where we all learned it in the acting class and we did that with it and you know i think i ended up like throwing myself up on a table at one point just and like screaming at everybody just to like justify it and i i felt that in this piece a lot and it made me excited it made me wanted to want to do it Mm -hmm. i think it'd be really fun to watch staging wise and i don't remember that very well from when i saw it over 10 years ago like 11 years ago now yeah. do you remember that siege like when you saw it, do you remember there being that game of stand up sit down the whole oh, time oh yeah
0: for sure and i okay. mean the main one that i remember and it's the the directions are very specific in the script too is the witch came first scene when they interrogate yeah. him they they Ooh. take a chair they pull it down stage they tell him to sit down and the whole time Stanley's back is to the audience, but he's the furthest downstage, which is a whole other power dynamic type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And they, it's it's like four pages worth of scene, but they were all standing in the same place the entire time. Cool. Um, and, but I have
3: I've seen it where they put him in the middle, and they they just keep going around him. Again, it's one of those things that's incredibly specific, but at the same time, he gives you this freedom to make these bold choices to do it it also is interesting i think i'd be interested to read about the spaces where this play has been performed and, and all Pinter stuff in terms of the, one of the things that struck me about this is in reading it is that it it's one of those you know early 20th century boarding houses it's very small it's you know when you go to europe and everything's smaller you know the roofs yeah. are a little shorter the rooms yeah you know, the doors are a little thinner it's all made for uh, hobbits
1: and elves yeah yeah
3: exactly exactly <laughs> and and so that stand up sit down creates a kinetic energy in a small space so it becomes a burner um and for this like that was kind of my head was like whew, i kept wanting to get outside i kept wanting to to escape it and i think that that that's, that's kind of Stanley's predicament, isn't it? He's trying to escape his past to, and he's, to, he's trying to find freedom by isolating himself, by putting himself in this space. So when those two dudes enter, all that shit just explodes.
0: But at the, at the same time, when you're describing that setting, I specifically remember this stage two is at a big proscenium arch theater. And it was this drab little boarding house, like sitting room with the hatch, the kitchen hatch in the back but it ended at a certain point and then the rest of the, like there was no ceiling and it just kind of faded up into black nothingness at the top. So even though everyone smashed together on stage, there was just this void at the top, which made it almost seem absurd. Like you're not even on planet earth. You're in some weird dimension almost.
1: That's freaking cool. Yeah, Yeah.
3: When I saw it, it was in the round. Ooh. Ooh. And I was about to say I bet yeah. this would be
0: bitching in the round That would so, be
3: bitching. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was in the round it's hard to explain. It wasn't quite three quarter thrust, but there was a section that that kind of let out onto it but then it was all very like door frame-y, like yeah. minimalism and then dressed and painted and the costumes and all that made it pop. so you were yeah it was it was, it was an interesting view an interesting choice to do it that
1: way. So this interrogation scene ends with Stanley fully collapsing. It just drives him all the way to Uh, nothingness, right? cracks him, yeah. Completely cracks him, and Lulu and and Goldberg start getting all... Well, then they
0: throw him the birthday party, and everyone kind of starts getting drunk. Right. Yeah.
1: And they play blind man's buff,
0: which is basically Tag... I guess well and this was this was another thing that was super scary about it too there were so many moments in the play where they turned all the lights off on stage right yeah and it would just they would just snap off and then there was a couple there's a couple times in the script where he asks McCann to take out his torch and every time he turned it on it would be right on Stanley's face so the only lit part of the stage would be right it's just the circle around Stanley's face cool and those that was another one of those things, turning turning the lights off. But you're so fucking scared of half the people on the stage. It <laughs> yeah, was the
1: yeah. scariest right. thing yeah. ever. That's very menacing. Exactly. And so then they're taunting him. They break his glasses, which anyone who wears glasses uh, and can't do contacts, like me, I can't do contacts. If I didn't have my glasses, like I would not be okay for longer than a few hours. Like right. truly. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So like Uh, Like I would start getting hardcore migraines. I would, you know, it's that kind of thing. So especially I think of that twilight zone fucking episode with the guy who reads the last man. Meredith Burgess. Meredith Burgess. Oh my God. Yeah. His glasses break and he's left alone forever with nothing. And you can't read anymore. And it's all he wants. All
3: he wants is his books. Ah, Spoiler alert for the oldest episode of (laughs) Twilight Zone ever.
1: But yeah,
0: it starts earlier in the play too. They take his glasses from him
1: right oh yeah right yeah. oh right they which is time. such it an won. act
0: of aggression and then when they actually take them and snap them i think i remember reading that and going oh.
1: <laughs> yeah that's yeah and especially as a glasses wearer or anyone with any type of sight problem, that 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 is your first thought is just like ah. like oh no he has to pay for those well, and he yeah. has to and deal with not seeing for a long time especially Orby parker's days. gonna be a pain in the ass yeah and back. then and he's not gonna see how the, all the mm, terrible things they're doing <laughs> It's awful. Uh, but so so they do this, and then they trap his foot in the toy drum that he uh. got to add insult to injury. Um, or to injury to insult. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> then uh, the lights black out, mm-hmm. and Stanley attacks Meg, and then attacks Lulu, and... W- d- d- uh, does horrible, tries to do horrible things to her. And yeah. I don't want to have to put a spoiler alert at the, uh, uh, I mean, not a spoiler alert a, trigger uh, alert, a trigger alert at the beginning of this episode because I don't think we need to get deep into this discussion because we've done it many times about like why it needs to exist in plays and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But uh, it being in a blackout, I wonder, because I, I have to be honest, like I remember it happening, but I wonder if it was a bit neutered in, in, in the kansas city actors theater version because i don't remember feeling that mm-hmm. like that had happened. yeah
0: okay I, in the blackout
1: when i, I saw it her, so when i read it i was like oh fuck
0: right i remember 1.2 they turn out the lights they snap back on and lulu and goldberg like he's got her on the table right but i mean that's they're hinting it that she you know they're kind of getting that into it was each consensual, other at that point. yeah. But, like, I remember when the lights came back on. Like, it feel like because you've got that whole father-daughter dynamic with them right. at the beginning and that it just feels weird and wrong when you right. see that as an audience member.
1: I agree. Yeah. Uh, but then they uh, back him into, a, Stanley into a wall, Goldberg and McCandu, and he's, like, maniacally laughing. And I remember that vividly mm-hmm. uh, in the show. Uh, an acting moment that i'm sure anybody would love to have (laughs) uh and then act three is sort of the aftermath right and and i don't want to give too much away from act three because i want people to go read it but there's this parallel that i love where pd is sort of the new stanley in the conversation with meg but there's these really specific differences that are revealing what happened the night before yeah It's the
0: hangover is the next morning is everyone being like, what happened?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my, oh my God.
3: Oh my God. (laughs) Also,
0: it's a scotch hangover. It's a scotch and it's a whiskey hangover, which to me, I could feel it while reading it.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, it's, it's a sweaty hangover. That's what it is. (laughs) Yeah. That's what it is. You smell a bit like a barrel. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But like, and then they're talking about, they're going to take Stanley to this unseen guy, this uh, Monty. Mm
2: -hmm. They're
1: going to take him to Monty and, and Petey's like, I don't know oh maybe you shouldn't do that sounds bad uh and then uh there's this great moment the, the one moment I do want to talk about is when Goldberg Goldberg is like uh, he's talking to McCann and they're talking he he's basically becoming like less confident about everything that's going on and he mm-hmm. starts getting kind of like jarred which he hasn't been this whole time he's always right, been sort of right, in control right. if right. this is if you compare this to funny games right we've talked about funny games on uh on this podcast what were we talking about oh uh who's afraid of virginia wolf oh yeah right there's a bit of that in this too or or funny games where you're being held hostage by these people and and uh in a way and but they start to lose a bit of their grasp on the control mm-hmm. and that moment starts to happen but then Mc- he like turns to him and he goes blow in my mouth and McKen blows in his mouth and then it- he's fine
3: and i was like
1: holy shit and actually it reminds me of and if you haven't seen funny games go watch it but spoiler alert there's this moment where this all these horrible things happen and they lose control the two hot the people who uh the um the kidnappers uh, lose control of the situation. And then one of them grabs the TV remote and just fucking rewinds it and rewinds uh-huh. the movie you're watching uh-huh. and retries nice. it. And th- yeah. there's been nothing else absurd in the entire I mean, there are absurd things, but there's been nothing, like, magical about the entire movie. Meta, so then all like, when it goes like, meta like that, yeah. Right, so you're like, fuck you! You know, you're like, fuck you, no, that's not fair! <laughs> right? You shouldn't be able to do that. That's kind of, that's how I felt in this moment, too, where I was just like, oh, he's losing it. Good, okay, the menace is going to go away. They're going to lose it. It's going to get turned on them and he just blows in his mouth and he's like cool I'm good let's go <laughs> like oh no <laughs>
2: what? well and
1: it's you, it's go ahead siege
0: he well you it. just you see the play spin out of control too because yeah. like you can kind of keep everything kind of makes sense in the beginning what people are saying and then by act 3 i mean yeah everyone's hung over but it's like yeah he has that whole monologue about like look in my mouth and like yeah. in true yeah. pinter form when right. i saw that there's this moment where and he was center stage where he just opened up his mouth and he sat there for 15 seconds yeah with his mouth wide open it's like what is <laughs> happening he, he does this thing
3: and it's it's i think it's it's a theme through this and through a, a lot of his work is the, the playing with order and juxtaposing it with chaos and uh, around all of it is 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 him talking about sanity and what is sanity you know i mean that's kind of the point of absurdism is where is sanity in a world that is chaos pure chaos and so he he manipulates you and like because that was a thing like i always remember i had a, a a buddy of mine who who was always like yeah pinter's just ice cold like i don't feel anything i get it but it's all heady and i'm like no, no, not when you watch this, like, you know, and I think putting people in harm's way, putting, uh, you know, Meg and Lulu in, in harm's way, you're emotionally connected to these people, even though you shouldn't be, especially Stanley. Why am I connected to him? Because there's a part of me that wants to believe that whatever his seedy past was, right, he's going to try and redeem himself if he can get out of this situation. Yeah. If he can survive his own birthday party. Exactly.
1: Um, so then there's the end of the play. They, uh, we don't, Do we give away the end? I don't know. What do we do? What, what do we do here?
0: I mean, I kind of already gave it away a little bit.
1: That's true. They take him away. They take him to Monty. We don't know where that is. We don't know what that means. Uh, we don't know what any of this was about. We don't even know if Stanley, if it was Stanley's birthday, but there was a party and Meg feels very proud of herself and Petey doesn't tell her that Stanley's gone. And that's the end of the play
2: yeah
0: well and something i and i don't have an answer for this i don't think is pd's role in this play because he's there at the beginning and he kind of comes in towards the end of act one and then he's there at the end and he's i feel like he's a little more anchored to reality than everyone else is because you don't ever really see him do anything he's not there he's also not there debaucherizing like he's not at the party he's not getting drunk with everybody he just gets up in the morning he goes to work he comes home which and goes he puts to the up sort with of, make silliness and stuff it's almost
1: the it's similar to bald soprano but also uh, happy days right where yeah. it's, it's a bit of that like dish rag husband thing mm-hmm. right where it's just like he's just kind of a he's just he kind also, of a guy and he lives in clockwork and mm-hmm. he's my husband but I have all these other things going on I'm putting up a birthday party and that's better right than this man Petey
3: also is kind of and you're right, CJ and I agree with you 100 percent. He's a connection to a grounded reality. He's also the one that's kind of although Goldberg and 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 uh, McCann come in come in from the outside world. He comes in and he's the first thing you see him with is the newspaper. He has information from the outside. He's bringing that in. And so I think, yeah, I, I agree. I think he's just sort of this taste of a groundedness, a, a, and that, that we keep the Pinter can keep going back to.
0: Um, the the last tiny thing I'll say about the London production I saw, they had in between acts and at the top of the play you came in and you sat down and they had, I, I don't know if you call it a scrim or what, but it, they didn't have a curtain covering the stage. It was a scrim and it was just two of the beach chairs. that They talk about Petey putting out on the beach. Mm. And there was no music or anything. You came in and you just heard the sound of the ocean. Mm. And then they rolled that they rolled that down for the intermission. They rolled that down at the end and all you ever got was the sound of the ocean. And I—I I, now that I think of that, I'm like, I wonder why they chose to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. Picking his thing
3: specifically, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. That is interesting.
2: Pinter, y'all. Pinter, y'all. Well, we (laughs) got a lot more Pinter to talk.
1: We're going to talk more about the Pinter pause. We're going to talk about his chronology next time. And we're going to talk about (laughs) the homecoming next time. And the time after that, we're doing Betrayal. betrayal, And we will also step through... uh, our rankings, our dream roles, all these fun things on the third episode. So stick around, stick around, don't stick around, but come back for those uh, in the next two weeks. Uh, but then we'll also be covering uh, Sound of Music Live after that for one week. <laughs> uh, and then I don't know who's next. We're not going to announce who's next because I don't know yet. Uh, we haven't figured that out yet. Or did we? I don't know. We'll figure it out. We've discussed it might be Lynn Nottage. That. We don't know. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but thank you. Do we have anything else? Oh, do you have LA Spotlights? LA, insert fucking... spotlight.
3: Uh, yes, I am producing a show at Sacred Fools Theatre Company called How We Got On by Idris Goodwin. We've gotten some wonderful reviews, some amazing shout-outs this week. Uh, it is playing um, through uh, the 26th of February, Fridays and Saturdays at uh, 8 p.m. Uh, and then on Sunday the 20th, we're doing a 5 p.m. show. Um, but it's, it's just a lovely show. It's about uh, three young people finding their art and finding their voice, and it's a history lesson about hip-hop set in 1988. Uh, So go to sacredfools.org, get yourself some tickets, come see the show.
1: Support your local theater. Do you have anything, Sage?
0: Yeah, tiny thing. Uh, Good friend of the pod, Travis, uh, he co-directed Coloropolis at Loft Ensemble, and I did a wee bit of choreography for it. wee bit. Uh, And it just opened uh, last Friday. It'll be going, by the time this episode comes out, there'll be one weekend left to see it. It's at Loft in North Hollywood, Fridays and Saturdays at 8 and Sundays at 7.
1: You don't see.
0: I don't see. I do uh, see.
1: Very exciting. Well, I don't have anything except that Anne is going to be opening at the Playhouse in a few weeks, three weeks, something like that. Uh, we have Holland Taylor's playing Anne. Check out the Pasadena Playhouse Instagram for a video of, of her talking about it. It's, I teared up a little bit watching it. It was great.
3: We should also give a shout out. Slave Play is playing at the Center Theater Group. I think it's Robinson, right. and then we little, should go see that. Y'all, we should Yeah, yeah. I can get us tickets. Get us I they um, give us
1: free tickets at the playhouse. I'll get oh, us tickets.
3: All yeah. oh, right, and then yeah. uh, the Layman trilogy is, uh, I think, hits in oh. uh, March. Sam Mendy's directing. So we have to go. We absolutely
1: have to go see it, guys. I'm gonna. All right, we're gonna. We're gonna do it, and we're gonna talk about them on the pod, and everybody get Let's ready. Let's
3: go for downtown, it. guys. We'll get Oh my god, so it's we'll only like tackles. a
0: mile from my place.
3: It's not, it. too <laughs> not
1: too Pasadena, far? Pasadena, it's it, it truly is. I mean, the way that the highway's built, which I, I'm sure is based in some fucked up like poverty <laughs> mindset, but yeah. it it, it or, you know like keep people out kind of thing. Uh, but it it takes about 10 minutes to get downtown for me. Oh yeah. wow, it's awesome. It's the best. Uh, anyway, thank you for joining us on our Super Bowl podcast, uh, (laughs) part one, uh, of the birthday potty, the works of Harold Pinter, uh, join us next week for part two, uh, after Pinter series is my and stuff pick. I already said all that. Go ahead, Siege. Uh,
0: do y'all have questions or comments? What do y'all think about the birthday party? Were you as stoked about it as we were? Because if you aren't, then... You're a jerk. Um, you can email us. You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook.
3: Scott. Thank Dave. you, CJ. A big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Um, This is a fact. Our theme song is better than your theme song. It's yeah. true. It's true. Ryan also writes all of our stingers. He's an amazing human being. We've all collaborated with him before, and we give a huge shout out to him. Uh, next up, we want to give a shout out to Pamela Quinn for writing our Pinter-esque uh, <laughs> song, which you are about to hear. Uh, Pam is a regular contributor to the it's show. It's just a really long pause. This is really long
1: pause. She but strums once strums
3: waits <laughs> for about 10 minutes and strums And again. Rest for 500 measures. Yeah. Um, but Pam uh, contributes to every episode. She was our guest during our In Stuff uh, episodes. She'll be back later this season. We love her dearly. And finally, to the great Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Annie Baker for writing every single one of our episodes. Yep. And she don't even know it. But one day, Annie Baker, we're going to buy you a
1: beer. She she writes our script in her sleep. It's kind of <laughs> creepy, but we love it. Yeah. Uh, thanks y'all all please subscribe rate review it really does help don't forget that <laughs> mouths and butts the are, the are the same thing, thing. Hey, if you're hey, a new listener hey. if you're new, i know i know <laughs> if you're a new listener i i don't need you to go back into our back catalog and find out why i just need you to know it's true that mouths and butts mm-hmm. they're the same but Medical also go to
0: the back catalog
1: but we'll go listen yeah, to the background. Yeah, back yeah. I don't know where that originated, but it's it's deep, so you'll have to I think it's sometime during the first season. Anyway, we love you guys. Thanks for joining us. We'll we'll see you next time. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna sing us out now. Yeah. I wanna see him fly, fly. I'll be your alibi, my baby fly 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 away we didn't get to say goodbye goodbye no need to tell me why my baby maybe it's because you'll fly back home to me someday name the musical name the, the musical name the musical, I, name the musical. I, don't I don't know it's based on a spielberg movie oh i it's
3: 1941 what the
0: fuck are you talking <laughs> No.
1: Starring Tom Hanks and
0: Leo Jaws? DiCaprio.
3: Oh, catch me if you can.
1: I said Tom Hanks and you said Jaws. I just want to say that out well, Jaws uh, Catch me if on, you on, can, uh, the musical. Uh, good soundtrack. Not seen, a great show. Never seen it. Great movie. Never One of know. his best. Spielberg.
3: Yeah. Uh, okay, we love you guys. Bye. Later, everybody. Mm.
2: start off neat. Calm, collected, cool, so respected, far from a fool, so innocent, it only takes one argument. Then it's getting rough, the toughness is tough, the hedges grow knives, the room is our lives, the birthday is out, birthday party is in,